Howdy folks, welcome to Michael Perry's voicemail, episode number 22. This one's a little different. I was sitting in the woods thinking about Thanksgiving and how everybody's had to adjust their plans, or most folks have, and that some of you will be celebrating it in a much smaller manner. Some of you may be celebrating it not at all. Others celebrating it from a distance, maybe via electronics. And I realized there was a passage in, in the book, Visiting Tom. Visiting Tom is a book I wrote about my neighbors, Tom and Arlene. Hartwig, I call them in the book. It's their, their love story of some 60 years is what it is. And there's a passage in there where I wrote about my wife, Annalisa, and my daughters, Jane and Amy, taking a meal over there and cooking it in the Hartwig's kitchen. They have a wonderful old farmhouse kitchen. It's dark and cluttered and warm and close. And I've written about their kitchen at length in other parts of that book, Visiting Tom. But I remember that in that passage, even though it was just a given winter's evening, I used the, the, the word Thanksgiving. And I thought, well, maybe I'll read that passage today for the voicemail. So this is from Visiting Tom. Evening. The big snowstorm is over and everything is plowed out, and we have taken dinner to Tom and Arlene Hartwig. My elder daughter Amy is draining a pot of potatoes in the sink. The hot water hits the porcelain with a splatter, and steam mushrooms up to huff itself across the kitchen window. On the stove, a skillet of sausages and sauerkraut is simmering, as is a saucepan of green beans. With help from our friend Mills, we ground and stuffed the sausages ourselves, combining our own homegrown pork and the venison I took last fall. In a small way, I like to think that sausage is a royalty paid on the deerskinner component Tom welded up for me. Annalisa made the sauerkraut, and she and Amy canned the green beans. The potatoes we dug as a family, me on the fork, Annalisa and Amy shifting the boxes, and our younger daughter Jane flinging angleworms. What you have here is your everyday Thanksgiving dinner. The kitchen is warm and feels even warmer for all the food and the idea of the dark, snow-fixed land all around us. Arlene has her chair angled so she can direct operations. I'm sitting with Jane on my knee, doing my best to keep her occupied, as she has already stuffed Cassidy, the three-legged dog, they called her Cassidy, um, because she had three legs, and it took me a long time to figure it out, but that's because they were referring to Hopalong Cassidy. And when we would go there, Jane would always run to the pantry in the back, and there was a big box of milk bone dog treats, and she would pull them out and waddle around in her diaper and feed Cassidy all those milk bones. I'm sitting with Jane on my knee, doing my best to keep her occupied, as she has already stuffed Cassidy with milk bones. Tom is in the other room, rummaging in a drawer. When he returns, he's holding what appears to be a miniature wooden doll with a protruding tongue and eyes and ears to match. He gathers the girls in close and unscrews the doll's cap, turning the figurine so that they can see that the head is hollow and studded with toothpick-sized pins that protrude inward. The pins are attached to the tongue and eyes. When we were kids, we'd catch a blowfly and stick him in there, he says. Then when that fly would crawl around, the eyes and tongue would come out and the ears would wiggle. We thought that was just hilarious. 
Tom is also carrying a narrow-necked clear glass bottle. This is my latest project, he says, and inside the bottle I can see a wooden chair, large enough that it had to have been constructed inside the bottle. I did it in the evenings, he says. I used to make these tools in order to do it. He holds out a pair of slim, oddly twisted forceps. I could reach to the bottom of the bottle and pick up a toothpick with this. Then he shows us a lightweight rod with two tiny hooks he's forged at one end. This I use to push and crowd things a little bit. As intriguing as his tools and handicraft are, I am always fondest of his language. In this instance, his use of the word crowd. Tom hands me the bottle so I can study the contents more closely. When I was a kid, you had to make your own playthings, he says, and of course, Dad didn't have power tools, but we was always welcome to use his tools. The only stipulation was that when we put them back. The only stipulation was that we did put them back. I notice the chair is beginning to come apart inside the bottle. Ah, I use Gorilla Glue, Tom says. That's a mistake, because Gorilla Glue expands. Still, as he stands there with those delicate homemade tools balanced on the palm of one hand and the bottle displayed in the other, he's beaming, and I'm certain we're pretty much seeing little Tommy Hartwig at Show and Tell 75 years ago. I'm going to make another one of these, he says, as he places them back in the other room. I'm going to make it a little heavier, put armrests on it, leather straps, and then a Christmas tree bulb with a plug-in, an electric chair. When he comes back in the kitchen, he can hardly deliver the punchline for grinning. It'll either be modern art or morbid art. We're about to eat when Tom disappears and produces another bottle, this one filled with clear liquid. Been running the still, he says. I'm teetotal, so he looks at Annalisa. You want a shot? Just a taste, she says. Tom pours a sip in a shot glass, and Annalisa tips it back. Whoo! Her eyes are appreciatively wide. We had 13 bottles of grape wine, says Tom. They were bitter. I didn't want to throw it away, so I decided to run it through the still. Then I figured that wasn't really enough to run through the still, so I went down and bought some champagne yeast down there at the Cap and Cork. Champagne yeast will stand up to about 20% alcohol, and your ordinary wine yeast, it'll start killing out at about 12-13%. When he gets going in moments like these, he's downright professorial. I took 12 pounds of sugar and 8 quarts of water, and you heat it and make a syrup out of it, and then we had it in the fermentation jug over there by the dining room table, just burping away for about two months. Then I run it through the still, and the first bottle that come out was 140 proof. Annalisa looks at the shot glass, then says, So if you spit that out with a lighter in front of you... Tom's face lights up. Oh, that'll burn with a nice blue flame. I'm chuckling along when suddenly Annalisa's statement registers. There is an implication of prior experience, and I make a mental note to ask her later if she ever worked in the circus. Then we got two of them, 130 proof and one of about 110, says Tom. When it gets down to 40 proof, we throw it out, because that's the end of it. But we mix them all together, it's about 60 proof, and you get six bottles. That costs you about a dollar a quart, and that's why the government frowns on it. He pauses for a moment. I don't like the stuff. Wine either. We give most of it away. I'm 78 years old, and I've never had a bottle of beer, says Arlene, or a cigarette. I smoked a pipe for 50 years, says Tom. I quit 12 years ago. Do you miss it, I asked? For about a couple of months. I used to smoke one of those cans in two weeks. 
I've seen the cans he's referring to. 14-ounce Prince Albert crimp-cut long-burning pipe and cigarette tobacco. Each tin colored a nice deep red. They're scattered all around the shop, usually filled with bolts or old nails. There are also a lot of cigar boxes filled with the same sort of items. But when I asked Tom once if he smoked the cigars, he said, Nah, I just use the boxes. And so it had never occurred to me that he might have smoked the Prince Albert. If I was doing a lot of shop work, then the tobacco didn't last long, because you had to have that pipe going to think, he says. Well, I went to the doctor, and he said I had a little bit of emphysema. That did it. He put the pipe down and hasn't picked it up since. Yeah, he says, when I gave that up, I told Arlene I had no more vices. We eat then, knees to knees around the tiny table, the ever-present M&M jar pushed to the middle, where Jane eyes it throughout the meal, waiting for that moment when Tom will unscrew the cap and tip it her way. I look at both girls now and wonder how much of this they're absorbing. First time I came here with Amy, her head didn't clear the stovetop. Now she's shuffling pans on it, standing nearly as tall as her mother. With my late arrival, with my comings and goings on the road, I'm grateful my children will carry memories of people who have lived long and lived substantively. I'm glad they'll remember nights when we went visiting. I'm glad they'll remember their mother and me laughing and listening in the presence of our elders. Here, at this table, in this moment, I feel as if I am in the middle of one long, slow exhalation. Hey folks, happy Thanksgiving, however way you're Thanksgiving and eating. We'll see you down the road. Well, I suppose. Forward.